So you had your people that didn't take them, but there was a lot of people that did take uh, take the word of God as we handed it to them. Um, so yeah, I'm just thank you for your prayers, those that were praying for us and thinking about us. Um, let's have a word of prayer before we begin here. Heavenly Father, we come before you now, fathers we've gathered in this place, we want to hear from you, we want to hear what is on your heart for us this morning, Father I pray that you would use me as I share, Father these things have been things you're speaking to me about, and just pray Father that you could bless your word as I share it this morning, pray that we could tune our hearts into you and what you have for us that we could just in a deeper way kind of think introspectively this morning about your word and what it means for us. I pray that you bless your word this morning. In Jesus' name, amen. I was not quite sure how to um, start this. I maybe wanted to just say David's here. I know you're probably getting tired of hearing about these things related to Jeriah, but when that came up, yes, this uh, topic sort of was going through my mind, and and I know that it would probably be easy for each of us to think about that as I go through the opening message here. But I want us to to sort of forget about that if we can and think about our own lives and what God would be speaking to us personally about. Um, I'm not necessarily, uh, I don't have anyone in mind when I'm, when I'm thinking of this message, but I just know how easy it is to, oh yeah, that's something so-and-so has an issue with. Or, I know how easy it is to do that, and I don't want us to do that this morning. I want us to think what God would have for us. Um, for a title, I settled on a forked tongue. Um, it's kind of interesting. I just happened to run across that uh, an idiom. Um, it goes like this: speaking with a forked tongue. And I thought it was kind of interesting as I thought about it. What do you think of when you think of a forked tongue? And serpent is what came to my mind which then took my thoughts to uh, to uh, Eve and um, the devil in the Garden of Eden and the lies that uh, he was spreading there. Um, did God really say that? Um, anyway, it's not really where I want to go, but just... Uh, thinking about the truthfulness, or, or in that case, not uh, truthful words. I'd like to talk about uh, the idea of duplicity. Um, maybe give a definition for that word a little bit later, but maybe a question here to start with. If you, if you were to think about 
a very common reason why, um, if you're out on the streets, why someone might say they quit going to church or they, they won't have anything to do with church people. What, what would you often hear? Maybe not always, but what, what's something that you hear? Hypocrites, yeah. Um, and I thought about that a little bit with us being out yesterday. I don't know that anybody ever really said that to me yesterday at all, but it's pretty common to hear, and it's kind of sad, really, um, how, how many Christians there are that profess one thing and live another thing. And that's where this idea of duplicity comes in. Uh, definition, contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action. Basically living one way and saying the opposite. So maybe for a opening scripture, I turn to 1 Timothy. Um, you don't have to turn there if you want. It's real short and just simple. First Timothy three eight it says likewise must the deacons be grave and not double tongued not given to much wine and not greedy of filthy lucre and I'm sure that we all can uh, see that this would apply to each one of us not just to Earl we all need to not be double tongued um, there's a couple other places where this idea of being double tongued comes out um, this word. <coughs> this word specifically um, in uh, as a definition double tongued, double in speech saying one thing with one person or another thing with another person with the intent to deceive <coughs> and then this is where I ran into that speaking with a forked tongue Talking out of both sides of your mouth might be another phrase you would have heard of. But I think that first definition, with the intent to deceive, is something that we should kind of keep in mind as we go through here. Um, an example. dry this morning. An example of, uh, of this idea would be Ananias and Sapphira. We could turn there to Acts. Chapter 5. Probably just read the first uh, 11 or so verses. But a certain man named Ananias, with Sapphira his wife, sold a possession. Um, I should maybe, we probably all know this, but there was, in the chapter before, it's talking about a number of other of the Christians who had land and sold it, and they brought the money, gave it to the apostles. Um, and 
there was no lack among them, for as many as had lands or houses sold and brought what they had, laid it at the apostles' feet. And so then it continues on here with Ananias and Sapphira, who sold a possession. In verse 2, they kept back part of the price, his wife also being privy to it, and brought a certain part and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why hath Satan filled thine heart to lie to the Holy Ghost, and to keep back part of the price of the land? Whilst it remained, was it not thine own? And after it was sold, was it not in thine own power? Why hast thou conceived this thing in thine heart? And thou hast not lied unto men, but unto God. And Ananias, hearing these words, fell down and gave up the ghost. And greater fear came, and great fear came on all them that heard these things. And the young men arose, and wound him up, and carried him out, and buried him. And it was about the space of three hours after, when his wife, not knowing what was done, came in. And Peter answered, said unto her, Tell me whether ye sold the land for so much? And she said, Yea, for so much. Then Peter said unto her, How is it that you have agreed together to tempt the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of them which have buried thy husband are at the door, and shall carry thee out. Then fell she down straightway at his feet, and yielded up the ghost. And the young men came in, and found her dead, and carrying her forth, buried her by her husband. And great fear came upon all the church, and upon as many as heard these things. It says here that um, verse four that Ananias had not lied unto men, but unto God. Um, it seems like I don't know if he actually would have told them this or not, but it seems like he would have indicated he was selling his land and going to give all of it, whether the other brothers around, whether. Uh, Peter knew that or not, I'm not sure, because it says he, he lied to God and not to man. But anyway, Ananias' heart was, um, the motive of his heart wasn't, um, wasn't completely right. He wanted to give just as the others were. Did he, did he want to do it because the others were or not? We don't really know. But either way, after having indicated or talked with his wife about giving all of it, they chose to only give part of it. And then to mislead the others as if they had given all. Peter says it would have been fine if they would have kept some of the money. It was theirs. They didn't have to give it. It wasn't the fact that they kept some money. In some ways, you could you could think that greed was the problem here, but there was a deeper problem. By implying one amount and then lying to keep it covered, they were living a duplicate or in duplicity, a double standard, a double life, contradictory doubleness. I uh, I don't know, not sure how to say this. I didn't really have this in my notes at all. But I was thinking, and you don't really see that kind of thing happening in the church today when 
when someone's living a, a double standard like that, that uh, they just fall down dead at the feet of an apostle. Um, but in verse 11, that had a great work on, or did a great work in the church. It said, great fear came upon all the church and on all that heard those things. Put a seriousness in their life. Another passage I thought of, again, you don't have to turn there, but I thought of the two men in the temple. I might just read one verse, uh, Luke 18. Two men went up into the temple to pray, one a Pharisee, the other a publican. The Pharisee stood and prayed thus with himself, God, I thank thee that I am not as other men are, extortioners, unjust, adulterers, or even as this publican. And then he goes on to list all of his, uh, all the good things that he does. And we all know from reading through the rest of the rest of the scripture what the Pharisees were like. Most of them, anyway. I'm sure there were some that probably were uh, I don't know, honest or or had a good heart. But it seems that most of that group, the Pharisees, lived up to their name very well. Um, so he stands there and prays to God, gloating about how good he is, fast twice a week, gives tithes of everything he has. I would like to suggest that this man was living a double standard. Um, in his attitude and how he prays here, some of that comes out. Often, um, when we think of this word duplicity or living a double standard, or uh, um, what's my other word? Contradictory doubleness of thought, speech, or action. When we're when we're living in something like that. Um, some of the driving force behind it is to, is could you say pride maybe, to puff ourselves up, to make others think of us better than, um, better than reality, better than they, than how we really are. And I think, I think that's what was going on here with this Pharisee. He was, look at me, I'm doing all these things, God. But if we read on, Republican standing afar off would not even lift up so much as his eyes unto heaven, but smote upon his breast, saying, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. Um, says here that this is the man that went home justified rather than the other who thought so highly of himself. He that humbleth himself shall be exalt, exalted. Another place uh, we have in Matthew 23, verse 27. 
might, <clears throat> I might back up a little bit. Uh, to verse 25, Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for you make clean the outside of the cup and of the platter, but within they are full of extortion and excess. Now blind Pharisee, cleanse first that which is within the cup and platter, that the outside of them may be clean also. Woe unto you, scribes and Pharisees, hypocrites, for ye are like unto white, whited sepulchres, which indeed appear beautiful outward, but are within a full of dead men's bones and of all uncleanness. <clears throat> Even so, ye also outwardly appear righteous unto men, but within ye are full of hypocrisy and iniquity. God's calling, or uh, Jesus is calling out the uh, Pharisees here, telling them that they're a bunch of hypocrites. They are living a double standard. They profess one thing, doing another. As I mentioned earlier, one of the, I think the root of duplicity is pride. And pride is an outworking of the old man. That's something that should be put away um, when we come to Christ. Pride, wanting others to think better of us. I thought of a couple things here. Um, ways that this might happen uh, for us. How about telling your brother or sister uh, in church that you love them and then slandering them behind their back? Men, how about telling your wife you love her and then stabbing her in the back by looking at things you shouldn't? For the ladies, how about telling your husband you respect him and then belittling him in front of your children or disrespecting him in some other way? When we live in duplicity, it is an attempt by deceit to prop up others' views of us to make us look better or to make us feel better about ourselves. that none of us are living in this way but I know for myself in the past there have been things that I have been living in this way I've seen I know people that have professed one thing said another it's very damaging to the name of Christ to the world around us. While we profess to want to lift up his name, we're tearing it down.
So for a cure, you can look at James 5. The other reference I have down here is John 3.21, and my thoughts kind of put the two verses together a little bit, so I'll read here in James, and then I'll maybe read the verse in John. Let me find that quick. Sorry, there's not any tissues up here. Okay, James 5:16 says to confess your faults one to another, pray one for another that ye may be healed. The effectual fervent prayer of a righteous man availeth much. And in John it says uh, that he that doeth truth cometh to the light that his deeds may be made manifest that that they are wrought in God. So my my thought with these two verses is, is that if we are Living this duplicate I like the sniffling behind the mic here. If we are living in this duplicate uh, this duplicate life or living in duplicity, um, we're not wanting things to come to light. we're not wanting. Um, how does it say it? I think in First John there, men love darkness rather than light. We're trying to cover that and to keep it hidden. By these verses, talk about repentance, uh, confession, bringing things to the light. That is, uh, that is what needs to happen and need to, or we need to do if we are in this, uh, living in this way. Confess your faults one to another. Pray for each other. Um, another thought I had as I was uh, getting ready to come to come to church this morning, I thought about this, maybe in a little simpler uh, thing. It may, maybe I'll give a disclaimer first, it may be, sort of a cultural thing when someone asks how you're doing to just say, oh, good, doing fine. Um, nobody really expects any honest answer from that. But maybe uh, maybe we should. In a way, that's a form of duplicity. How are you really doing this morning? And every morning, are you really doing good? Never have any troubles? I also thought of this. I don't know if you're familiar with this, but uh, we need to walk the walk if we're going to talk the talk. Um, I guess that's 
That's all I had this morning. Just pray that God would use that to draw each of us closer to himself.